0: What happens in Chinese New Year is factories are closed for a month. Before and after the Chinese New Year is when the most QC issues happen.
1: Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Micolini. I am back on a bus. I finally got my Chinese residence permit issued back for another year, so December 2017. So my passport is in my hand. And it was a couple of long weeks without a passport. And now back to this cross-border travel action. I did actually kind of miss this traveling. Uh, It's a jam-packed bus, as always. And, uh, you know, I have to actually make note for people, I know there's some listeners that do this e-channel like me so it's a new thing for foreigners and what happened was uh i went to the e-channel line and it's like alerting me it doesn't work it doesn't work in chinese and uh an official customs official came over and uh was asking me like a retard like i don't know what e-channel is i'm like i have it i've used it before and then they're like oh it's because you got a new visa so i have to go back through the application process so they stuck me in a foreigner line in Hong Kong border, but uh, actually I was pretty lucky on my APEC card, so I went to the APEC or the uh, Diplomat line and got through pretty quick. I uh, will actually have I have pretty extensive how-tos for E-Channel, China E-Channel and APEC for all you travelers, so uh, I'll link those blog posts on the like, show notes at globalfromasia.com slash episode 154. And uh, this is the second-to-last show for 2017, and I do have something special to announce for the new year. But my wife has actually approved it. Usually she doesn't always go along easily with my ideas, but I will share the uh, details soon. It's actually going to be a, something I announced in the newsletter. There's actually lots of stuff we put in the email newsletter every week, and people do enjoy it if you want to engage with us there on email and get these alerts uh, and news. GlobalFromAsia.com slash subscribe. Okay, and now for this week's show. Uh, while it's almost Western or Solar New Year, uh, January 1st, we are talking about preparing for Chinese New Year or the Lunar New Year with your orders and manufacturing. So we have Ashish uh, Monga, and he's going to be coming on and sharing some tips and tricks also a little bit with a fba twist and uh, as i mentioned the show notes are at global slash episode 154 154 shows amazing all right thank you everybody for tuning in to another global from asia podcast we have a visitor in shenzhen my friend for many years ash monger thank you for being here Thanks, Mike. Really happy to be here. And uh, we were joking before, and I think I still messed up your name, but can you maybe say your name again and introduce everyone? Sure. So, hi, my name
0: is Ash Monga. I've been in China for about seven, eight years, I'm being a big fan of Mike's podcast. Really excited to be here today. I run a sourcing company in China. So, we pretty much manage the whole process, like right from finding the factories to signing contracts, to doing inspections managing the logistics pretty much right from you know getting the goods out of the factory into FBA so I say FBA because of a very large proportion of our clients are FBA customers
1: great and uh, we just met downstairs at my my place here and yeah you're driving and we're talking badminton so that was a fun conversation I wanted to kind of loosen things up before we get into the technical stuff so you're a badminton player now
0: I have been a badminton player for the last year and a half because, uh, you know, if you live in China and you don't play badminton, then that's a problem. Uh, if you want to have, uh, relations with your employees, with your factories, you definitely need to be good at badminton. Okay. Um, I've been losing for a long time, uh, you know, to finally decided to hire a coach so I could finally beat the
1: factory bosses. Wow. Uh, still on my way Hardcore. to, you know, <laughs> get but I think you, yeah, it's an extreme sport from what you told me. I, 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 I think <laughs> other listeners might be on my side. We don't. I don't think of it as an extreme sport, but... I was on your side before I
0: started playing as well. You know, I always used to think it's a very girly sport. Having said that, after I started playing, it's actually more intense than, you know, than what it looks like. And, and yeah, I've been loving it, man. It's, it's great fun. Get injured every now and then, but it's, it's, I, I really enjoy it.
1: Very cool. Very cool. So let's get into the heart of it. So today we, we could have a lot of things we can talk about. You have a lot of experience for what a lot of listeners can get a lot of value out. So it's hard for us or for me to kind of pinpoint one topic, but Chinese New Year is coming. So I think listeners should be paying attention to the dates. So we're going to kind of talk about, you know, Chinese New Year's and the impact on quality control and logistics. So um, thanks for sharing. Sounds awesome. So yeah, like you said, a lot of your clients are FBA. I think a lot of our listeners are FBA. It's taking over the industry really, I think. But what are maybe some of the factors and the differences that you see for FBA orders or maybe I call them traditional orders?
0: Sure. So uh, with FBA, uh, I think one of the biggest challenges In general, compared to the traditional wholesalers or distributors, you know, the quantities tend to be smaller, but the customization requirements tend to be more, which uh, from a factory's point of view is not an ideal scenario. You know, Chinese factories love large orders with minimum possible customization. That's that's the ideal dream customer for a Chinese factory. So uh, the biggest challenge is getting supplier support. And secondly, you have to kind of handhold them in order for them to understand your requirements uh, especially if you're customizing the product a lot, changing colors, changing packaging, so that tends to be an issue. Uh, the second issue is Amazon has very specific packaging requirements. You know, in terms of the condition of the package, the cartons, the pallets, they need very specific labels and stuff. And factories aren't always good at this because it requires a certain degree of detail orientation. So that that's another challenge we see quite often with FPO orders.
1: All right, interesting insights. So that kind of affects everything in the order process from the specification, communication, quality control, but we're focusing on the QC and, and, and the logistics. So how how would that affect you? You're, you're focusing mostly on QC. I know, I know you do the whole 360, but within QC, what would you say is, is different for FBA?
0: Right. So in my opinion, uh, there's not much that's different when it comes to quality control, you know, because... Uh, whether you're an offline seller or an online seller, you want to sell a quality product. Uh, Every buyer has certain quality standards that they're trying to adhere to. Now, Now, there are buyers, you know, whose primary objective is to have the lowest price. And maybe they're in those kind of markets, you know, in a lot of the developing markets, quality is not a primary criteria, it's the price. And that's fine as well, as long as the criteria is defined upfront. Uh, so, you know, coming back to your questions, the QC process to a very large extent remains the same, Mm. uh, you know, which includes defining standards and making sure the standards are adhered to. Um, the, uh, one of the challenges we find with FPS sellers is on average, they tend to be smaller sellers. So they don't always have a good understanding of the compliance requirements for products, whereas larger buyers, like, you know, when we talk of offline sellers, it could be retail stores or large distributors. They have a very good idea of what the compliance requirements are because either they've been in business long enough or they hire compliance experts, or in some cases, if they're large enough, they have a full-time compliance person working for them. So uh, one of the challenges we see, which kind of happens even before you place an order with the factory is not being aware of the compliance requirements. Okay. And secondly, with packaging, we see a lot of issues. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, factories tend to, uh, if especially if they're not working with a lot of Amazon customers, uh, they don't always tend to understand Amazon's packing needs as well.
1: All right. Yeah. So I we're both in a lot of WeChat groups. I mean, there's also Facebook groups and, and uh, social media has really changed the scene since days I was actively in importing in factories so I'm kind of jealous but I see all these group questions and sometimes I kind of picked a few here so I know sometimes they're kind of argue, having these arguments with the factory about QC or you know, testing the product so I've, I've seen even screenshots of WeChat conversations with broken English on the factory I don't know if it's a sales rep or owner but basically they're kind of resisting either quality control at all or they're resisting the amount of products that need to be checked. I, the factory will say we don't have any problems or another buyers aren't doing this or they don't need to do this many. What's a kind of a good rule of thumb for checking the products before shipment?
0: Sure. So um, I think there are two questions here. Uh, firstly, whether factories uh, are comfortable with an inspection company or inspection process in general and secondly, what we can do about it. So what we find is most large factories or even medium-sized factories by now have got used to people using inspection companies and QC companies. The extent to which people do that is different. Some people would just hire an inspection company to go once the goods are ready to go in there. Other people would hire companies like ours where we're managing the whole process, We've ma- what we call project management. So we get in really early. We sign contracts, which are very detailed. You know, we impose other clauses about inspect how the inspections will be done, what happens if they go wrong. Sometimes factories don't like that extent of control that we're trying to impose on them uh, in terms of QC. But in general, I found most factories are supportive. Every now and then we see factories... Um, And this normally happens if the order size is small. So everything in China, you know, order size is king in China. So everything is basically dependent on your order size. If you have large order sizes, you can negotiate everything. If you've got smaller order sizes, sometimes factories will try and impose their terms. But having said that, if a factory is not willing to, you know, accept an inspection company to come in, then I think that's a pretty big red flag and I just move on and work with Mm. another factory.
1: Unfortunately, I've seen it when they already have the... At least 30% down.
0: (laughs) Yes, You know, which is why it's very important in terms of QC that you define your QC process upfront and before you actually send the deposit. Mm. Uh, You know, if you can sign a Chinese contract, that's the best case scenario. That's not always possible for everyone. At least sign an English contract. It might not give you the best legal protection, but at least you got things in black and white. Define how the inspection would be done and stuff. And that kind of helps.
1: Great. So the flow here, the flow, so maybe QC is done, it's going to the port, it's going to logistics, we should add some Chinese New Year here stuff. So what's your deadline? I think maybe we're already past deadline from what we were talking about before recording, but expectations, you know, for let's talk about Chinese New Year and maybe non-Chinese New Year, but what are some expectations they should put in their mind?
0: Absolutely. So Chinese New Year is a big, big, big event, you know, (laughs) And we find irrespective of whatever we do, we we send out email notifications, we remind the customers, they almost always underestimate the impact it has on their business. You know, large players who've been in business for a while, they already optimize the system to reflect the the Chinese New Year holiday. But for most importers, uh, you know, so what happens in Chinese New Year is factories are closed for a month. Before and after the Chinese New Year is when the most QC issues happen, because before the Chinese New Year, factories are working overtime because they're under pressure from customers to get the goods out before the holiday. So QC issues are at at a peak. After the Chinese New Year, a very large proportion of the workforce doesn't come back because they go back to their hometowns. They meet other workers, you know, they find out about other work opportunities closer to the home or in other factories. So there's a big uh, churn of the workforce, which means you've got new people working on your products, which means, again, QC issues uh, go up. So it's very important to be aware of these issues. Another thing that happens is the freight costs kind of go through the roof. You know, as sometimes it can be as high as three to four times what it would normally be. So it's very important to plan well in advance. Like we advised our clients to place their last orders by end of November, which was a couple of days ago. <laughs> uh, Chinese New Year this year is on January 27. And that's another challenge. Chinese New Year comes on a different date every year. Mm-hmm. That kind of affects your planning as well. But normally, I would suggest to you place your final orders at least two months in advance, especially for sea shipments, and especially if you got longer production times.
1: Yep. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So once it's on on the sea, this is something that's fascinating to me. Is we've had a previous podcasts with Chinese sellers and even foreign sellers. Do they even? A lot of people don't even have a U.S. company. So a lot of times, people ask about the importer of record, who becomes the importer of record in the U.S. or whatever your final destination is. There's, I guess, a few choices. Of course, the buyer, the logistics company maybe, or Amazon. Who's the person on that's name is on the uh, import?
0: So the importer requires the person who takes legal responsibility for the goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, Amazon would never want to do that. You <laughs> yeah. know, They don't take responsibility for anything they do. <laughs> uh, again, shipping agents wouldn't want to do that because they're just helping you manage the logistics process. They don't actually know what's inside the cartons. It could Mm -hmm. be rugs, you know, so they wouldn't want to do that. So it's always the person who is the buyer of the goods. Uh, Now there are different scenarios. Like if you're based in the U.S., if you have a U.S. company, it's pretty easy. If you're not based in the U.S., uh, you could still apply for an EIN number as a foreign company. But, uh, you know, as long as you're the buyer of the goods, you will be the importer of the goods.
1: Okay. Got it. So then a the foreign company, you don't have to have a U.S. company, but you can have an EIN. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then let's say the timing. So it seems like end of November to get before the end of January. So would that be fair to say two months?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the best case scenario. Uh, we like, For example, some of factories advise us to place last orders by end of December. Because we have pretty good buying power with those factories, so they kind of prioritize us. So there's a lot of variables here. It, you know, it depends on your purchasing power with the factory. It depends on factories' order book. You know, if you have if they have tons of orders, they're working with bigger players. They will prioritize them. Got it. It depends on the lead time for your product. You know, it could be like a lot of products, especially like plastics and stuff. Uh, the production time tends to be around 14 days, With a lot of the aluminium products is like 40 days plus. So all those factors need mm-hmm. to be considered as well.
1: Yeah, so that's from two months until leaving port in China. So then that's not, in fact, including like receiving. So the ship would leave. I guess if it's a Chinese person, they're going to be on the water during Chinese New Year if it's an ocean shipment. But I think we should do new business. We should get some foreigners to work here during Chinese New Year, right?
0: <laughs> <Just> Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I just want to add one more point to that. It's very, uh, the reason why you don't want to leave it till the last moment if it's a sea shipment is because, you know, there are always delays at the port. So you might have a ship booked for the 22nd of Jan. There's a very good chance that despite having a valid booking, your container won't be loaded on that ship, which means it gets pushed to, you know, a couple of weeks later whenever the port starts working. The good thing is if you can get your goods custom cleared, the ports aren't actually closed for that long. They normally close for like four to five days.
1: Uh, Okay, cool. So, yeah, I mean... It's painful, so I want to talk about the small guys here because it's true, right? Nobody seems to care about the small buyers, but uh, there's some terms for ocean we've talked about in the show, and, and you know a lot about is LCL and FCL. So normally, smaller buyers fall into the LCL, which means less than container load, I believe, and then full container load FCL. Kind of, kind of, kind of straightforward there, but I know it's not. But I'm going to say, is the process the same?
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> so for lcl shipments um you know what happens is uh to simplify the process you would send your goods to the port there would be another company which is known as the group h company that would consolidate the goods in a single container then they would clear the container under their name then the container reaches a destination then it's uh, the group h company would clear that then they would deconsolidate that into individual shipments and then it kind of Uh, It's delivered to the consignee. So on each side, you should account for at least seven to eight days or more compared to an FCL shipment. So an LCL shipment takes longer, first of all. Secondly, a lot of the time, agents, if they don't have enough orders, they would kind of wait for more orders to come in before they consolidate your goods. So you could have even longer delays. With LCL shipments, uh, the documents tend to be a bit more, uh, you know, the documentation process tends to be a bit longer as well. So overall, um, you know, it takes longer Basically, there are more parties involved in the process, uh, so delays are expected. And yeah, I think that's that's one of the main challenges. Other than that, you know, it's a bit more complex if you're a logistics agent, but the cons- uh, the consignee doesn't really feel that effect.
1: Hmm. It's kind of going back to Chinese New Year. So it, you're just trying to get the stuff out of China before the end of Chinese New Year. Is that the goal? I mean, is there any other risks for it to be on the water during Chinese New Year? Or-
0: No, you're just trying to get it out uh, before the Chinese New Year. But if you're doing serious volumes, you also have to account for the increase in freight costs because that could eat into your margins. Mm -hmm. If you're doing this in the last week, then there is a good chance that you're paying like three to four times. Yeah,
1: you mentioned it. Okay. I haven't done orders myself for a few years, but uh, I remember sometimes there was still communication needed to the factory about the uh, bill of lading or releasing the shipment. But I guess he wouldn't even release it when it was on the water. I don't know what happened or maybe no it didn't get into port i had a big dispute with uh one of my orders because my client wanted to get the original bl before paying the 70 percent right 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 and and, uh, the factory is like i'm not giving you the original Uh bl until you give me my money so there was like this dispute that it was getting close to the container you know having to get loaded it was it was full container loads so uh yeah, I guess as long as you get it onto the ship, he passes the BL to, you know, to the owner once he's got the money. So then there's no more dealing with the factory once it's shipped.
0: Yeah, the standard practice is um once the goods are on the sea, the factory would send a copy of the BL as evidence that the goods are on the sea. The client would pay the balance. And then they would send out the original to the client's uh, agent in the destination port. Yeah. Because whoever has the beer is the owner of the goods. Yeah. So I think in this case the factory might have a valid reason to not send the original <laughs> yeah.
1: beer. Yeah, I mean it's still crazy. Even in 2016, almost well, 2017, it's still physical paper, right? I mean Absolutely. there is tel tel, tel telex. telex. telex yeah, yeah. But uh still seems like people still want a physical DHL or a, like FedEx a paper across the world.
0: Absolutely. I think, uh, it. you know, the logistics industry in general, we were talking about this mm-hmm. in the pre-interview chat. You know, uh, it's a very, uh, I mean, the IT system adoption isn't that good when it comes to, you know, the logistics industry in general. Some of the larger companies have good systems in place. But overall, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of manual processes in place, which is why with logistics, you should always be prepared for delays. I mean, even the shipping, line, I was reading a statistic somewhere that, uh, 70% of all shipments, uh, the shipping lines are late uh, 70% of the time. Merck has the best on-time shipment rate, which is, uh, I, I don't remember the number, it was around 80% of their shipments. So, so, you know, delays are always expected with
1: logistics. And it's very important you account for these. Maybe not as bad as domestic Chinese airlines, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely, <laughs> it doesn't those, get worse than that. Those are the worst,
1: <laughs> I think. I, uh, I often eat the uh, bad food on the runway. But uh, having said that, China is
0: awesome. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There's great things about it, but as anywhere, there's there's we're still in
0: mainland China, so we have to be very careful about what we say. So every time we say something about China, we have to kind of cover it up. (laughs) Mm, mm, mm,
1: Yeah, let's just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So goods, I did talk about importing a record, but maybe I'll talk now about where are you sending it? You know, we're trying to focus on FBA today um but of course you can you instruct it to be sent to any warehouse either your own or FBA or a third party logistics so a lot of times uh people are talking about sending it to a somebody before amazon for a few different reasons so some reasons i've heard is uh you can keep your large volume there and then send in de- demand to FBA so you don't have to have the FBA cost as high on all your goods other reasons i've heard is they can help you with the qc maybe Maybe they can do more thorough check or double check the products before it goes into FBA. Can you give us some thought process here about where are you going direct FBA or are you going to these third parties or or what should people consider?
0: Now, so like you rightly mentioned, there are three options. You send the goods to your warehouse, you send it to a third party warehouse or prep companies as they're known in the FBA business, or you send it directly to FBA. Personally, I have a preference for sending it directly into FPA because what I found with the most successful clients I have who are doing FPA, you know, the speed to market is a critical factor because the faster you rotate your products, the more profits you earn. You know, sending it to prep companies is a preferred option for a lot of clients because they believe that it allows them to double check the goods uh, in case there's been damage in transit. So the boxes get damaged while they're on the sea and stuff. And this happens more with LCL shipments than with FCL shipments. Uh, so... That's one reason. Like you also mentioned, a lot of these prep companies would allow, you know, they would split your order. So FPA would sometimes ask you to send the goods in different warehouses. So these companies would do the splitting. Sometimes really hard to split the goods when you're sending directly to FPA, but it can be done and we do this all the time. So the goods are sent to uh, the port, let's say LA, and then they're split into three or four different warehouses. Cool. So you have all the options. I personally have a preference for sending it directly into FPA, but... Uh, It depends on your QC process, really.
1: Yep. So hopefully, I I think it probably would be recommended for so many reasons to make sure you do as much QC as possible before it leaves China, right? You don't want to really rely on QC once it's received, whether it goes to FBA or a third party. It's still going to suck if you have bad quality anywhere in the US or on the other side of the world or another country. It's going to be hard to get anything back from the factory or negotiate. With them, right?
0: Absolutely. The best time to do an inspection is before you pay the balance to the factory because you got some leverage with them. You know, if you find issues you can negotiate with them and try and fix those issues. Once the factory has hundred percent of your payment, <laughs> then you're at their mercy. And once the goods are in the US in most cases, it's not feasible to send them back for fixes because mm-hmm. factories are not going to be willing to pay the logistics cost mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. So uh, so absolutely the least QC you can do in any order, you know, if you don't sign contracts, you don't do due diligence, the least you can do is one pre-shipment inspection.
1: Yep. Yeah. Cool, man. So this one's fun, I'm trying to get out of the LCL world. So hopefully we have some businesses growing that are listening and they're, hopefully getting out of the F- LCL because it's, it sucks. I've done it and a lot of people have done it. You've worked with people doing it. So they're all possible. It's best to get to FCL and maybe we'll just call this just scaling. Right. So what are, what are some things you've seen? Maybe you're buying from a smaller fact. Everything is smaller at the beginning, right? You're, you The big factories don't want to talk to you. You're doing the worst LCL shipments with millions of people in the communication process, but hopefully you're getting out of that box and getting bigger. What What are some things maybe on the we talked about a little bit before, but I'd like your answer. Sure. Uh,
0: so before I get to that, I just want to add a, a point quickly. You know, a question we get a lot is when you go from LCL to FCL and what point can you consider FCL? So a 20 feet container can take about 28 CBM of goods. What we find is at the 15, 16 CBM mark, it makes more sense to go for an FCL even if you have, you know, uh, and half empty container oh, okay. because the costs kind of level up at that I could point. just
1: take a free trip to the US and... You could
0: do it. that. That's, uh, <laughs> you, you could take your family and friends with you. <laughs> yeah. Miles can come with me. <laughs> Absolutely. So so at that point, you should definitely consider going for an FCL. Um, uh, in terms of scaling challenges, you know, what happens is uh, as your business grows and we're seen this quite often is sometimes... Um, you know, certain clients go at grow at a pretty fast rate. So the order might be like five thousand units this month, and next month all of a sudden they have a twenty thousand unit order. And when they receive the goods, they find that the product is inconsistent. And this normally happens is because a lot of the smaller factories, if they cannot meet uh, the demand or they don't have the production capacity to produce that number of units, they would outsource production. A lot of the factories in China are small workshop factories with five to twenty workers. So they, they often outsource production and that's when, you know, inconsistent quality starts to happen. So if you're scaling up fast, you need to be aware of these kind of issues. There are other issues which we'll probably cover in other podcasts, but yep. this is a very common
1: scaling issue. That we very find. cool. Very cool. Thanks for those tips. But yeah, it's definitely life is good af- after you go to FCL. So yeah, like you said, even if it's, oh, you said 15 CBM versus when it could be 28. So even if it's half full positive half full, not half empty, half Half full, half full container still might be better than sharing, sharing with some other random people's stuff. Right. So cool, man. And then contact me. I can hop on the other half of that container, do a (laughs) podcast in there. (laughs) But, uh, very, very cool. So I think we're getting towards the end. Thank you so much for your time here. I always like to add like common, maybe mistakes or hiccups or maybe, you know, tips that you could give people, maybe entering the world of of this kind of, or even Chinese New Year, or just generally any kind of things you want to mention?
0: Sure. So the first thing I want to mention is about expectations. You know, it's very important to have realistic expectations when you're importing from China. So we often get emails saying, oh, I want to import this new product. We have great demand for it. And we need this in like seven days. Can you help <laughs> us? And, and, you know, I, I like to call it the urgent order syndrome. Uh, this is a very common problem. Um, also, we find... You know, we find people uh, with the first order, it always takes a lot longer than people expect. So normally if the production time is 30 days, you should account for at least 75 days because you would have, you know, your packaging, something would go wrong with the packaging. You want to approve samples. With the whole process, the first order takes about two to three times longer than your second order, for Mm. example. So if the production time is 30 days for the first order, I'd account for 90 days at least. And uh, 90 days till the time your goods are ready at the Chinese port. So not accounting for shipping time. Uh, so that's the first thing the other thing i would say is in terms of overestimating margins a lot of people tend to miss out common costs you know people account for the production cost the logistics cost but then there are other costs like the platform fees uh, the returns uh, customs both at the destination port and origin port can inspect your goods on random basis and then they sh- they bill you for that as well so firstly you lose time because you're likely to miss your you know miss the boat if you're at the origin port Uh, but you also get billed for that. So all these expenses, you know, it's important to be aware of because we find, and accounting for returns, you know, if returns are 5% of your goods, a lot of the times I find people do all the hard work and then they end up in red and they don't actually make margins. So when you're doing your margin calculations, it's really important that
1: you're aware of all these costs. True, although I have to respect the hustler. But yeah, I mean, every, you know, I know entrepreneurship is hard, but sometimes you got to maybe three times markup are usually right. Yeah, I think
0: three to four times is a good rule of thumb. Uh, Four times for lower value products and, you know, 2.5 to three times for products that are like $40, $50.
1: Yeah, which people think is crazy, but you'll find out when you, especially these FCLs, there's like forklift charge, person taking paper charge, another person taking paper charge. It's like, (laughs) it's really nuts. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, so... That's that's all I really have. I mean, we can go on for a, quite a long time. You have shared some amazing knowledge. So, what you know, what are you maybe your time to share what you're up to? you you do this as a as a service and other things. Can you share some things happening with your business?
0: Sure, these are really exciting times for us. We're um, building a new CRM system, uh, which we in fact recently started using internally, which allows us to automate a lot of our processes. Awesome. You know, one of the challenges we find. Dealing with the clients is the time difference. Uh, so the second part of the project is having a client portal that allows them to Very log cool. in and do a lot of the stuff online. Yeah, that's cool. So that's something we're excited about. Another project we're doing for high-end Amazon sellers is AMZ Think Tank, which is basically a group of Amazon sellers who are doing at least a million dollar in sales. We're doing some really exciting stuff. I'm doing this with my business partner, Will Churnland. So that that's something I'm super excited about. We have our first event in uh, in Phuket, uh, in April. So that's something that I'm really excited about as well.
1: Yeah. Very awesome. Very awesome. So then you have the sourcingblog.com, which is cool. And then also IMX sourcing? IMX sourcing services. That's right. Great. Great. We'll link up all this. And I know you referenced some of your blog, your amazing blog posts in, in our, in our, in our talk. So we can also link those up too, so people can dig in even deeper. So, Thanks so much, Ash. Glad I finally got you on the show. You, you, we've been talking about it since the beginning. So, thanks uh, and uh, uh, happy holidays to everybody listening, and uh, good luck with the Chinese New Year orders, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Mike.
0: Really appreciate you inviting me. It's been awesome, and you know, nice to finally uh, spend some time with you in Shenzhen. Yeah. We met quite a few times, but it's never been in Shenzhen, so yeah. it's good to finally be at your home base. Cool. And uh, yeah, happy holidays to everyone. Thanks Great. a lot.
1: Thank you, Ash. It was a great show, and thank you so much for sharing. And glad we made this podcast happen. Uh, we've, we've been getting to know each other much over the years, and I know you're a, a fan of the podcast, and it's great. I know we've both spoken at the Smart China Sourcing Summit that Global Sources has and, uh, and other events uh, in the FBA community and WeChat groups and all kinds of stuff. So it's cool to get you on. And I am still on this bus. It's... Uh, it's a fun one, though. You know, 20 minutes more or so to go and uh, nothing, nothing, nothing special, nothing out of ordinary. I'm going to check my email now for the next 20 minutes on with my Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh, you know, emails are always fun, but my favorite ones are from people like you guys. So it does work. You can send it to me. I do read my emails. Give me feedback on the show, some topic ideas, some questions and more. Mike at GlobalFromAsia.com so there's going to be one more show next week before the end of the 2016 it's going to be a fun one uh, we already have it ready it's Ove Young, and uh, she talked about moving to Hong Kong getting settled in and I'm also going to have a little bit of segment at the end talking about some of my new year plans some stuff i got gotten from the survey for the Global From Asia community and uh, so see you next next Tuesday morning 10 a.m. Hong Kong time We're taking a big corner here in the bus uh, I don't know if you can hear that or not but